Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Welcome back around. Hopefully this is an episode that will not get lost in time a little bit when we look back down the road. Sometimes shows have those lost episodes. I think of an episode of Frasier that's like that, where Frasier has this collection of all of his shows that he's done of the Frasier Crane Show, except for, I think, one. And he tries to go on this manic hunt to track it down and find it. Hopefully this episode won't get lost in time like that, Dave. No, no, we'll, we'll be good. We, we've got good spotlights. Archiving has become better in the digital age as well. That's that's helped too. Spotlights, you say? Well, if, if everything's online right there. So if you're finding Rick and Nick talk flicks, you know, and you're looking for Rick and Nick, and you'll be hard-pressed to find them. There was a cameo. I think one of them, we saw their kneecap come through the door one time, and that was about it. Oh, boy. So, you know, Go back to those guys again. They've been out of sight and out of mind here for a couple episodes. You know, they're well-produced, they're well-known of, but, you know, you can't find these guys. So that kind of ties in a little bit to the missing in action theme we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I think the uh, the title or characters of this uh, this little podcast fit that pretty well. So welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I am not Rick nor Nick, but I am Dave Brooks. That's right. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, which is located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater right now. If you're going to the movies, that's great. Make sure you check the show times. Make sure you see what they've got playing. If you're not in the movies yet, back to going to the movies Make sure you keep on supporting them by getting concessions. That goes a long way toward helping the theater out. So um, Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. They are open. Um, Just make sure you check which days uh, to stop by there if you'd like to support them one way or the other. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back to the theaters. I haven't been since January of 2020, and I miss it big time. And uh, with shots coming down the line and in the arms for many, uh, I would probably, I mean, I, you're not with a mask. You're going to, I'm probably going to get a shot, going to sit in there with a mask probably makes it difficult to eat and drink, but so what, uh, I'll get that on the way out and bring it home. But, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some shows, whether they're great classics that are going back on the big screen or new ones opening up. It looks like that bright silver lining is getting closer. Indeed, uh, it's getting closer, and as we as we kind of kick things off today, um, the big movie news these days is the Oscars. The yep. Oscar nominations have been announced. Um, you've got th- there's a lot of variety in it, and I think there people more plugged into watching a variety of movies on a variety of platforms than you and I, Dave, have have a little bit more knowledge on this because I I'm just not as familiar with with the movies that are out there this year, but I. I mean, I haven't really tapped into um, the ones that are up for the nominations. I think Mank had the most nominations that came out for it, and that's the um, that's the uh, Netflix film on on Joseph Mankiewicz. 
Um, he wrote Citizen Kane for Orson Welles. Right, considered right. Considered by many the best movie ever made. And So it, it's very much a, a prestige picture from from all of the, the details that I have gotten one of those one of those movies that's just it's aiming for the awards and it's well, it's about it's, it's a movie about Hollywood and, and that's, Hollywood that's loves feeding that. into it. Yeah. So it'll probably win Best Picture if no other reason, that reason. I mean there's there's a lot of variety in terms of the international scene for um, best picture as well as or, or as well as for I think some of the directorial awards there's kind of an international flavor there there's a, a just a variety of flavor in, in total when it comes to um, the different awards that the different movies that are up for the different awards uh, this year so and even not just the uh, movies themselves but the people involved it's about as most yes. inclusive as you've ever seen lots of minorities lots of lots of blacks and the first korean ever nominated for an oscar got nominated this year so this is very very inclusive and that's a good thing but you know on the flip side we've talked about there were all, and I'm exaggerating there's only been seven movies released in all of 2020 so you got a one you got a seven and seven chance of getting nominated does that draw? I mean, not that they're not necessarily worthy, but if it was a normal year, are there performances, are there movies, are there so on and so forth nominated that if they were really going up against the major, major contenders, so many got held back? You know what I mean? It, this is almost like the also ran, but they're getting recognition, and that's not a bad thing. But 10, 20 years from now, when you look back at the Oscar class of 2021 from the movies that came out in 2020, are they going to, this movie want that performance? Well, you know, compared to this thing and that thing, is it is it going to look at like a dip in some ways just because of a lack of options? Not to take anything away from the great achievements, but when there's only, you know, two movies come out, you got a 50-50 chance that your movie, Mr. Tinkerbell, or some weird movie is going to win Best Picture. Well, with these movies, the, the concept of a movie coming out like we would typically expect that to be on the big screen that it, that we would be seeing it but this year it and and just reading comments from people on on the nominations people who are like yeah the, these are good choices and i i'm going well s- people are consuming these movies one way or another you know the, the movie consumption has taken on such a a new a new look this year and and this year obviously with with the pandemic going on has has initiated that kind of change in a way that that we anticipated might be coming but it's i mean it's pretty notable that even though these movies didn't hit the big screen in a traditional sense they were consumed one way or another by quite a few people who are who are really plugged into the movie landscape and what's out there on it and so I mean, one way or another, these these movies still found a way to to be able to get that done and to do that, even though the big screen was not a traditional option as you would expect in most years. But the other problem is that there's that exclusivity issue. You know, you you, you can't just go to any movie theater and see any movie. That's the way it used to be. But now you have to subscribe to a specific streamer because if you want to see movie XYZ, it's only showing on streaming service ABC. Well, I don't want to subscribe to 15 different streamers just to be able to see things and not just for the one show, but to subscribe and now I have to go and cancel because I don't don't want to watch all the other things. I just wanted to see the one thing. It becomes a pain in the butt. And so exclusivity is really a pain. Now, I understand maybe this is a a movie like HBO Max. Obviously, that's Warner Brothers. Any Warner Brothers show is going to go to HBO Max. Right. But they should have the option to, after a small window – 
to be accessible on others. Well, Netflix would love to show Justice League, the Snyder Cut. All right. Well, not right away because that's an exclusivity, but after X amount of months and not a long amount of months, now you've had your chance to exclusively see it as it's new on HBO Max. Now, if Netflix or Hulu or whomever wants to show it also and bring some people in that maybe don't want to subscribe to HBO Max, but they already have Netflix, here's another reason to go for it. And Warner Brothers is going to get the money for the rights to show it on other platforms, which obviously HBO Max isn't paying a royalty because it's their own company. You don't pay yourself to watch your own movie, but Netflix would have to. So it's a win-win, and it's not so exclusive, at least forever. But unless you have, unless you you know have Netflix, you've never seen Stranger Things. Go back 20, 25 years. Go back even ten years. The accessibility of those movies that were up for some of the biggest awards of the Oscars way more accessible than than what you're getting today. I'd even go back to last year a little bit as well. You know, you, you're seeing this more and more that that movies that haven't really been quite as accessible for a larger audience are are getting more and more interest and getting more and more opportunity with these awards which i which is a very good thing because it gives it gives these films a chance to be in the running especially if they are that good but i mean it was hard to find parasite last year you know, it, it won Best Picture, and that was a huge breakthrough with, with it winning Best Picture, but that was a hard movie to, to find in theaters. I mean, it was only, I think, in select places, and maybe after the fact, then, is where it starts to hit more of a widespread kind of um, release, but that's a hard one to find, and then and then this year, of course, with the pandemic going on, it was just, it was always going to be very different, but I wonder if it is going to set a tone from here on of, Yes, we might have more of a widespread kind of platter and and some really good movies that are up for those awards, but ones that are becoming less and less accessible compared to the best picture noms of the past. You know, just a thought, not that I want to compare this to, you know, the Oscar season to pro wrestling, but, you know, some little guy like Rey Mysterio, and if you know who wrestlers are, then you know who he is. He's a smaller guy. He's probably not going to win heavyweight champion because he's not going not gonna to beat Andre the Giant, you know. But then they came up with, like, light heavyweight championships and cruiserweight champions so the smaller guys can get a chance to shine. Maybe the Oscars should have something like that. So the big, giant, wide release, high box office, blah blah blahs. Now you've got something where there's criteria. If you well, there was under- talk about doing that. There, there was talk about like best popular movie or something like that. Well, but that was that was something different. But you know, popular movies you don't need to have a special category for them because everyone's going to see them. But I mean, those movies that if it wasn't for dot dot dot, you wouldn't have seen it. Here's your opportunity, and of course, a lot of times best pictures come up and best performance. I never heard of this movie this year in particular. I never, never heard of a couple of them. Um, but that might be the thing where this is a movie that you should know about and, you know, being selected by the Academy. Look, we saw these movies. We know about these movies. You should probably see this movie. It's a pretty good movie. We're putting it up for the special category Oscar, whatever you want to call it. Just an idea. Not a well thought out idea, but just an idea. Speaking of accessibility, it's funny that we're talking about that with these movies because that is essentially our topic today. You know, accessibility of certain movies and being able to find them, being able to watch them. 
it's kind of a lost films category. Now, if you oh, type in... I thought we were just talking about Ron Howard's movie, The Missing. Well, I mean, if you want to get into that, you could. But so The Jeff Bridges movie, The Vanishing? Well, again, if you want to get into that, you could. This but, is where Hoove wants to punch me. No, it's funny, Dave. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I, went, I Googled lost films or films that have been lost and then you come up with list of disappearing movies or list of movies about disappearance yeah. so they kind of run they they kind of run perpendicular to each other when you do a google search sometimes of it but yeah lost lost films can can be a very broad category because if you type in lost films and just do some research there are literally some movies out there that are lost that they have that they have put out kind of an APB for. Like, hey, we are searching for these films. If if you can find them on like old reels and stuff from like the twenties, you know, silent films that are out there that they know exist and yet have kind of disappeared more or less. So that's one category of lost films are, are films that literally have disappeared, or maybe there are pieces of them that have gone missing too. I I've seen a few movies on Turner classic movies that have been restored and, and had some pieces of them that had gone missing. And now they've, they've gotten the full thing remastered and restored and, and they've done some, some work to be able to get it back into a, a playable matter. I think Janice films does a lot of that and focuses in on that. But, but then there's the category of lost films, quote unquote, where they are they are movies that have kind of dropped away out of the consciousness and they are very difficult to track down and to find a full recording of. And I'm not just talking about made for TV movies, although I think those are a little bit more susceptible to being in that category than others, even made for TV movies that have very notable actors in them. But these are more so films that have disappeared from the consciousness and are notoriously difficult to track down yeah you know you get some things like uh this movie has been uh preserved by the national congress that's awesome movies that had a, such a cultural impact they're stored forever and every so over many years they'll restore what they have there in film print and kind of get a new master of it so it's always going to be there and it's under a mountain somewhere so it's not like the mountain's going to burn down but when the comet crashes into it, then everything's lost anyway, so it won't matter. But then there are some that literally at some point got destroyed, and they do not exist at all. And I, I don't have a list off the top of my head, but film historians have said the movie starring so-and-so, um, you know, there was a fire in one of the places where it was kept back in the day. And they say that every person dies twice is when you actually die. And then there's the last time your name is ever spoken by anybody, and that's the, the last time you truly die. There are some movies that fit that description where they're just not shown anymore and they're never going to be shown again because literally there were only five copies of the movie that existed on film or whatever and they're gone. Every one of them destroyed in a whatever, whatever, and they, they literally existed at one point and do not anymore and will never be seen again. And, they're, and some of them were so long ago that there are still some people that did see them at one point that can kind of tell you a little bit about what it was, but as they die off... Nobody will be around that even saw the movie. And so there are truly some lost movies. There are movies that were made that never got released for one reason or another. And that happens even in the current time. A movie gets made, they're trying to figure out a release date, but the movie was made three, four, five years ago and it still hasn't come out. Is it going to become one of those movies that was made and never comes out or it just comes out many years later like uh, 
Uh, oh, geez, I'm just having a, a brain fart here. What was the New Mutants one that just came out? New Mutants. Yeah. And that, that was that made was a couple of years Mutants. ago. And it finally came out. People were like, hey, we, it's been three years now that that movie's been made. Get it out. So it finally does. Well, I think they were retooling with that as well, right? There was that too, but it was also... Th- as the reviews have proven, it wasn't that good a movie. So they're no. like the Justice League, you're not always going to get a redo and make it a four-hour long epic, which I understand is a better movie, but it's a four-hour long epic. New Mutants, like, we got to salvage this. We can't release it as is. It's just yeah, not good. Because that went through a ton of production tr- struggle and trouble all the way through, and then it was reflected, I think, in the final product. There's a term in Hollywood called production hell where you got a movie that's trying to get made. It hasn't been made yet. It's getting put in what's called turnaround where they send it back and it needs to cook a little more before they film it. And then I kind of, there isn't that such an official word, but I would think post-production hell is one of those. And I would, even though Justice League did get released, I think it went through its own version of production hell. Well, there's another version that you know that was going to come out that Zack Snyder was working on, but then the thing happened and and Joss Whedon finished it, and so yeah. that's what HBO just spent a lot of mo- or Warner Brothers rather spent a lot of money redoing. So the new version is out. I guess you could call that post production hell, but New Mutants certainly would qualify a completed movie that isn't good enough to be released. So we're gonna figure out what we want to do with it before it gets released yeah really quick on on the snyder cut since you brought that up. i have not seen it me either i have found that whole thing very strange because uh, i understand some of the thinking behind behind doing it especially because of the tragic circumstances that came about with Zack snyder stepping away from the production of justice league understandably i i find the hype over the release of his cut of it to be very overblown, however, because you are recutting a movie that did pretty well and got okay reviews, and yet that people were so nitpicky about, now wait a minute, what about what about this other version that Zack Snyder was coming up with when Zack Snyder's track record has been far from glittering in the last several years when it has come to superhero movies, I, I haven't understood the the hype over that at all. I, I just wanted to throw that out there on the side because I, I don't understand why this is getting built up as much as it is. There are alternative versions to several movies, and then there are some movies that have really gone seriously into a complete remodeling, of so to speak, of a movie that already came out. Maybe the best example, well, now we probably have the best example with the Snyder Cut, but prior to this... I would have to say it would be one of the Exorcist movies, actually. They did a movie, uh, um, it's got, there's two different versions of it, and they each have a different movie, but basically it was Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist, and it talks about Father Marin, um, who was Max von Sydow in the original, and his earlier battles with a demon. Now, they got a guy, a Swedish actor, pretty well known these days, Stellan Skarsgård, to play a younger version of Father Marin. The movie was filmed, shot, released, and it was just about ready to be released. Uh, I don't like this one. And so Morgan Creek, the production company, ordered it to be remade. And so before the movie that was completely done was ever released, they redid it, all of it. And well, obviously some actors weren't able to come back and do it because I'm on to my next film. I can't do it. They yeah. recast the role and various things like that. But there were tweaks. And it was a more scary version. And and it, and it, it did come out. And it was eh. But then everyone found out, well, there's another version of this movie that did... Well, the first movie didn't do... And by the first movie, I mean the, the first version of the prequel movie came out. It didn't do great. But now there's a huge uproar to get the first version out. And finally it did. So there's two versions of the same movie. 
And neither one of them were greatly received, but the clamor to see what you didn't see. Same thing like Rogue One. Well, there was a shot in the trailer of the guy. Who cares? It didn't make the final cut. Yeah, but there has to be another version that has the... So what? It doesn't matter. You know, they they retweaked the ending because it didn't quite work, and so they made it much more linear, and, and that's what worked. So it just... People sometimes get a little overworked about it. But that being said... The universal consensus that I'm hearing about the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is that it is a better movie, it's got better development, but it's a four-hour movie. Right. I didn't realize that. I didn't know it was that long. That's a mini-series. When they would do that on, you know, when I was a kid on ABC, this the two-night mini-series event, because it was a four-hour mini-series with commercials and everything, you got you, part one, we'll say part two tomorrow night, you know, but a four-hour movie... Did they at least include an overture and an intermission? Yeah. <laughs> it's streaming. You can pause it. I suppose that's true. So that's the positive. What would be a great thing is if they did put an intermission and it's just a shot of like all the, you know, DC superheroes sitting in the front row of a theater just smacking on their popcorn and a sip and That'd be a good intermission. Robin asking, "Ooh, can I have some of that orange Mr. Freezy?" No, there's a pandemic. Get your own. And then after 15 minutes of them bantering like superheroes would, just ad-libbing, okay, let's get on with the show. That would be fun. So your concept of lost movies, Dave, what does what does your idea of it center around? Well, like you said, it's a broad concept. Um, first, let's talk about movies that do exist, and they're out there, but haven't been seen or have very rarely been seen. And the only one that really right now off the top of my head comes to mind it's almost become a legend in Hollywood because there, there are people that have seen it. It does exist. It's in a vault somewhere, probably, or lost to all time. But it's a Jerry Lewis movie called The Day the Clown Cried. And from what I understand, it's about the Holocaust. And it's so, I mean, it's got some serious nature to it. And I, from what the wording is, is it's trying to be filled with bravado. And it, maybe some people called it a vanity picture. But it never got released. Jerry Lewis himself said, this movie is so horrible, it's never going to get released. And he, according to rumor, had the only, I mean, he's passed on now, so where the movie has gone to since his passing, I could only guess. But he probably stuck it in a vault somewhere because he personally owned the movie. It never got sold to a distributor, literally got sold to a distributor who then would own the movie. Jerry Lewis apparently owned it and stuck it in a vault. There are some people that have seen it, probably buddies of his. Hey, come and watch this movie, you know. And the, oh, you got to burn this movie. You got to you got to not see this movie. And they've told their tale about what they remember seeing of the movie, and it wasn't good. And the movie was made in the '60s or early '70s, I think it was. Uh, but it, it does exist allegedly. But whether it was destroyed in a fire intentionally by Jerry Lewis, who didn't want anybody to ever see it, or who knows. But for every one of those, there's probably ten more, twenty more, thirty more, hundred more telling the exact same story. A movie that was made. And whether the production company, the studio, uh, executive producer, somebody that had a lot of clout over it said, no, this movie can never come out. And you wish they would have said that with some of the Tom Green movies that have come out, but it never happened and they never came out. So they, the kind of the lore is that there is a movie that exists. It's like a secret room in a house. You got to find it. Doesn't matter if there's nothing special about it at all. Just the fact that it's hidden from view makes you want to know What's what are they hiding? Just like the the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Oh, oh, it might not be any better. It could be worse. But the fact that it exists in a secret kind of a way is the allure. It is the allure. And 
there's often it seems the case with movies like that 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 don't see the light of day or aren't in it anymore that there's some there, there's some kind of reason behind it like you know this this just isn't suitable for people anymore especially socially this might not be a suitable movie anymore for for being released that way but it sounds like with that one it was a post production kind of decision of we just can't put this out there, which makes you wonder how it got to that point of where did it go so wrong from the planning stage of we think this is a good idea to do this, let's go forward with it, to scrapping it then after the fact or deciding to do so after you've done all of the shooting, you've pieced it all together, and then you go, oh, we don't see how this works anymore. I, I find I find that disconnect to be very odd. That, that it would reach that point. I think when you say the word Holocaust movie, you have to be very, very careful. You know, Spielberg yes. has clearly walked that line and succeeded with Schindler's List. But, you know, to maybe reference something, you know, here's a guy that's got a tattoo on his hand. Ooh, what does that mean? Well, maybe he was in a, you know, the references like that. Okay, but movies about that, very directly, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, good movie, you know. But they can't all be winners, and maybe you take a look at the finished version Ooh, maybe, uh, I don't think we walked that line very well with this. This is a delicate subject. Let's move on. Let Nobody needs to see this. Why don't you put it in your vault and it'll live in lore. People will always wonder about it. Who knows? I can only speculate. But people that did see it, they didn't, to my knowledge, haven't really elaborated on why it was so horrible. To my knowledge. Maybe there's something out there that I'm not aware of. But uh, it, it just never came out. So, And there are other movies, versions where, um, for example, a classic 1984 comedy, Revenge of the Nerds. People have seen it. People have liked it. Nowadays, there are some things that were funny in 1984 when the movie was released, like picking on nerds. Well, now nerds run the country with you know computer and techno everything. You don't you know anti bullying, and there are other scenes too that are, you know nowadays looking at it through 2020 vision is like, oh, uh, but they did a remake of Revenge of the Nerds a couple years ago, and then after. A month of shooting, whatever it was, they just shut the movie down. End of story. Never finished it. Never assembled it. They had a younger cast, but some members of that cast were people that were kind of on the up and up that names you would recognize. And I'm not looking at it. I'm going off the top of my head. I can't tell you off the top of my head who it was. But it was a movie that was into a version of production. Got shut down. And it never got picked back up, like, say, Solo. Well, we're going to shut it down, we're going to retool it, and we'll pick it back up and we'll finish it. Never happened. After a month of shooting, you've got to imagine how much, maybe it's a three-month shoot is kind of standard for a lot of movies like that that aren't so CG heavy, but they got roughly a third of the movie shot before, for reasons unknown, they just, we're done. Everyone go home. No, you don't get to put this on your IMDb movie. You know, this doesn't exist. <laughs> I guess so, not. Yeah. But how much of the movie does exist? Interesting. And That's why was it question. shut down? Interesting. Yeah. It's it's technically kind of a lost movie, sort of. Don't know. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. We talk about lost films today or ones that have faded a little bit into obscurity. And maybe that's where we can start to drift to, Dave, is, is films that have drifted into obscurity or are very difficult to find because believe it or not even even though the reach of this has expanded and gotten better which I've got a, a really good example of here in a little bit there are still movies that are very difficult to find out there yes 
I think, didn't you have one that you said was from your childhood that you wanted to touch base on that was in this category? Well, again, uh, like I said, it's part of a larger general oh, concept, okay. which has actually become more accessible now thanks to streaming. But I've got, I've got more of a, I've got more of an example like recently that I can think of. It's a movie from the '60s, but okay, um, and it's one I've talked about before on here. But um, yeah, I, well, I'll go into it now. If, yeah, please. And, I had been trying to find this movie to to stream it and to watch it online, but I couldn't find any streaming place or not even like YouTube movies. You can't even find it to rent on YouTube movies. Couldn't find it on Amazon. I had to actually buy the movie to get it, which I I didn't mind doing because I I like the movie a lot. But it's it's uh, Michael Caine's original Harry Palmer movie, The Ipcris File, which I had seen on Turner Classic Movies for the first time when I had watched the movie for the first time. And then I went to go find it again like sometime later to to watch it back again. And I couldn't find it anywhere. I, I couldn't find it to stream um, or to watch in, in a digital sense anywhere. Um, so I was like, oh, well, I better buy the movie. And I had, I had to pay some decent money to, to buy the movie. I mean, more than, than most that you'd find on eBay or Amazon. Um, when you're getting the hard copy of the movie, so one of those movies that it like in Britain, that's a that's a cult classic. I mean, that's really classic spy genre. It was um, producers of James Bond decided to to do a different type of of uh, version. I think Harry Saltzman had had decided he wanted to make a more a more gritty, real life kind of of super spy or quote unquote super spy with Harry Palmer, more of a, more of your, just your average Joe spy. And that's what they came up with, with Michael Caine's character. And you can find like funeral in Berlin, which was the follow up to it. The, the sequel, you can find that and you can watch that on, on Amazon, or I think you can find that on YouTube movies as well. And and you can rent it and watch it that way. But Ipcris file is hard to find in that way, even though that's a, that's a British spy cult classic. A little bit, and that, but it's a difficult one to track down. I remember, you know, you got to think about things from the context of when they were made. I mean, nowadays, between streaming and cable TV and network TV and you know, home video sales and blah blah blah, everything is out there. It's all about something to consume. It's all about product. Get the product out there. Get the product out there. But it wasn't all that long ago where this stuff just didn't exist. It was on the screen. Or maybe NBC would get it for the movie of the week and re-show it on TV. That was all there was. So you'd have a lot of people that had a lot of control over these shows or movies and would put them away. And, you know, I remember a lot of Hitchcock movies. You know, there were some classics, of course, that were out there and always out there. But there were other movies that came out and they got put away in a vault somewhere. And they never came out again. And it wasn't until like the 80s that somebody would pass away or whatever the case and you'd open the vault and find all these movies. And so Hitchcock had a bunch of those. There was a big revival for Hitchcock back in the 80s because a lot of movies and not always the most well-known like The Trouble with Harry, which is kind of a murder yeah, comedy. Yeah, It, it kind of came back out again and yep. people hadn't seen it since it first came out in the 50s, 40s, whatever year that came out. Uh, it came out again for the first time in maybe 50s, 40 yeah. years. A lot of episodes when the Honeymooners, you know, Jackie Gleason put a lot of those away. And then there were some just because of the subject matter, like an episode of the original Star Trek series. There's an episode called Patterns of Force where Kirk and Spock go down to a planet that 
is run by the Nazis? What? You know, well, there was a book that got, you know, an earth book that found its way down there and they patterned their society after this book just so happened to be the Nazis, which from a governmental standpoint was very efficient. But, oh, yeah, there's the other stuff that goes with it on the side. So Kirk and Spock have to walk incognito amongst these people. So there's Captain Kirk dressed as a member of the SS with Spock with it. What? For a long time, that episode just wasn't shown. It was made. It did air. And then they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to show that again. And for a long time, it didn't come out. And you could have bought earlier video versions of it, and all the episodes were there except that one. There was an episode of Seinfeld that was the same thing, where they actually get pulled into a Nazi rally. And for a long time, it didn't air again. You have to get, I don't think it airs on TV even to this day, but it will be included in the, in the DVD rentals or whatever, so you can see it, just because it's sensitive. There's a really good Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder comedy, and they had a pretty good comedic, comedic duo team up through the 70s and 80s. There's a really good movie called Silver Streak, where they're on a train and there's a murder mystery, and it's just kind of a fun, kind of an action comedy buddy team up. Well, there's a scene where Gene Wilder's character is wanted by the police because they mistakenly think that he's the murderer, and he's not. He's trying to save his fiance who's on the train, runs across a con man played by Richard Pryor. They need to sneak Gene Wilder on the train. So what Richard Pryor does is he takes shoe polish and darkens his face. So basically it's Gene Wilder in blackface trying to get onto the train incognito, trying to act black, with Richard Pryor egging him on to, no, no, more black, man, more. It's funny. It's done for laughs, but when you look at it through the vision of the 21st century, you can see how it can be racially stereotyped. But then again, you've got this, this movie was partially written by Richard Pryor. Does it get a pass? Does it not matter if it gets a pass? Richard, Richard Pryor is in the scene, and you understand that it's good natured, but still, if, you're, if that's something that it makes you upset and insensitive about it, you can understand why it's not being seen, but it's still a great movie. It's not evil in any intent at all, and it's, it's clearly fun, but it's hard to be seen these days. And so movies like these, shows like these are well-known, but for one reason or another, because maybe some of the material or somebody had control over it and for whatever reason locked it away, these are great shows and movies that just, at least for a while, kind of disappeared or are disappearing. Well, here's another good example uh, along those lines of, of who controls it. Because when you said that, I thought of the 1980s James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again, which was an offshoot of the the mainstream James Bond movies and and it was it was a, it was a redo of Thunderball it was a redo of Thunderball which has had been has been for the longest time subject to a lot of tug of war battles over who holds the rights to it and and to the story which we've talked um, about in our James Bond episode we have yes so then they did this offshoot Never Say Never Again with Sean Connery actually returning to play James Bond well. Came out the same year as Roger Moore's Octopussy, by the way. So two right. competing James Bond movies in the same year. And I, I think I had seen that it was available for streaming at one point, and I was like, really? That's the first time I've seen it pop up. I mean, because there had been one where, again, dropping into obscurity because it's not part of the James Bond canon, it, it kind of became this this rogue movie a little bit that that's out there. But like I said, again, I, I think I had seen it was available to rent online, and, and so a little bit more accessible than it used to be. There's another movie. Sometimes I look out for movies based on nostalgia. Uh, both my parents are gone, so sometimes looking out for movies that they used to watch and they used to like that you just can't find. My dad, 
had a big fascination in this one movie. And somewhere years ago, my sister found it somewhere. It was probably some pirated copy, but still, it was a movie called Hopscotch. It's from the fifties or no, the sixties, I think, with Walter Matthau as a CIA spy. But it's a comedy. And for whatever reason, he's in trouble with the agency, and so they're out to get him. But he's smart, and he's always one step ahead of the agency, including vacationing at the CIA director's house while the CIA director's out on international hunt looking for him, not thinking to look in his own house. It's a comedy. And it, I'd never heard of it before, but we all sat down, we watched it. It was funny. I mean, it's a 60s movie or early 70s, whenever it was. But it was funny, and it's Walter Matthau. It's a fairly well-known cast, and we had to find... I don't know where my sister found this copy, but like I said, it looked pirated to me, so it was what it was. But how come you can't find it anywhere? It's not anywhere. If you go on to anywhere that you could find an old DVD, good luck. It's not there. It's not streaming anywhere. I've never seen it pop up on Turner Classic Movies or ACM or any of that. It's just, it is, or AMC, it's gone. It just isn't out there. So where is this movie? Who's, Who's hiding it? Why is it gone? So that's that kind of makes us a segue into the next thing, movies that are out there that are good, and movies and shows, movies in particular, that came out, had a degree of popularity. It's not like they came out and, oh, this movie's horrible. Well, that explains why you're not seeing it anymore. But movies that were nominated for Oscars, gone. Gone in what way? Depends. A lot of different. I'll give you one example. Uh, Kevin Smith has done several movies, and I, you know, the View Askew universe. He did a movie. Uh, 98, I think it was, called Dogma. Fun movie. Controversial movie because it's talking about religion. Alanis Morissette stars as God. So <laughs> evidently you haven't seen it. You had a double take No, on yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> it's, an, it's a good all-star cast. Even George Carlin is in it. Um, they had, The movie was written and directed by Kevin Smith. The movie was purchased... By Harvey Weinstein, and this is partially the reason why Dogma isn't out there anymore. He owns the rights to it, and any deal that was in place for home video or streaming or showing on TV or any of that, all those deals have lapsed. So if I buy it unless somebody's got a copy from before and they're going to put it up on eBay, but you're not going to flip channels and land on it. It's not going to be streaming anywhere because Harvey Weinstein owns it, and no one's really doing business with Harvey Weinstein these days, and until... He passes on and they go up for, you're just not going to find it. And so Dogma exists. Funny enough, my wife's a huge fan of it. She bought it when it came out and, you know, a copy of it. But that's it. You know, unless you know somebody that has a DVD collection, which these days is fewer and fewer, good luck finding Dogma. And if some people, I really like Dogma. I want to see Dogma again. Unless you already have it, you're not going to watch it because it's not out there to be found. Unless somebody's got an old copy they're selling on eBay or something. And so there's examples like that. But there's other examples where, for whatever reason, to my knowledge, it's not tied up in any kind of uh, lawsuit or ownership problem or whatever. It just, for whatever reason, it isn't out there anymore. And it's hard to find for reasons I don't understand. I'll give you an example that I found, uh, but it was part of, I found it in some bargain bin. I'd never seen, and it was online too. I was just kind of looking for older movies to to pick up for my collection for cheap, and I, I bought the do, the movie for dollar ninety nine, and it had three other movies on it. It was like part of the date night movie pack or whatever it was, and it was a movie called uh, Murphy's Romance. Sally Field and James Garner came out in the early mid eighties, like eighty two, eighty three, something like that, and it's about a divorced woman, Sally Field, and her young son, uh, a young up and coming Corey Haim. 
And she moves to the small town. She's trying to get back on her feet. And there's a guy that runs the local drugstore, James Garner, who's just just catnip. But it's just kind of a will they, won't they, will they ever, her divorced husband comes into the picture and will they, won't they. It's a fun, sweet movie. And it came out and it was up for some Oscars and it was well received. And then it just kind of over the years has vanished. You don't see it anymore anywhere. It doesn't come up on any show. It's not streaming anywhere. And like I said, the, the video version I bought probably was sold somewhere in the 90s maybe, maybe 10 years after the movie came out. And it was part of the bargain bin. And I just happened to find it in somebody that, you know, was cleaning out their apartment and they sold it to some online store and I found it there for $1.99. Otherwise, you're not going to find it unless you just happen to turn over the right rock. Yeah. It's not being served up to anybody. Yes. And that that last piece, Dave, is a really interesting one because if it's not being served up, if it's not being made available... Um, that's that's a key piece, even for popular movies that way. That that brings me to this concept that I have been hovering around here for a little bit and that I haven't fully revealed to you. Even before this episode Ooh, today, I was like, Dave... He hasn't revealed. I was like, oh. Dave, I, I have this concept that that I've not presented that, that ap- appeals to me and applies to me and a lot of movies that I watched growing up. And that is the fabled Disney vault. Oh, yeah. Which doesn't exist anymore, technically. Well, they need to get the vault out on Disney+. Plus. That's right. Disney+, <laughs> Plus has more or less taken the Disney vault and opened it up. They did an Ocean's Eleven and cracked that baby wide That's open. That's right. Because the Disney vault was the concept that came to mind when, when we were talking about this idea of lost films. Because I was... By one way or another, fortunate enough growing up that I came across a lot of movies from Disney that had been out of the vault for a time. That I don't know how my family had accumulated some of those movies or found them on VHS. Like Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier with Fess Parker. You know, there's one. Um, and its follow up, Davy Crockett and the River Pirates as well. Um, where he meets Mike Fink, and they they sail down the Mississippi and race each other on on these uh, keel boats. Um, so there there's some examples. How about Haley Mills and the movies that she was in, like Pollyanna, you know, or the Parent Trap, or the Moon Spinners, you know, movies like that. That uh, I watched the Moon Spinners for the first time on TCM when they were doing a dive into the Disney Vault during this one month, and Leonard Malton was was uh, was rele- was um the presenter who they had on who was talking about some of the different movies from the vaults that they had on during that stretch, just very obscure movies that, that I hadn't heard about. How about uh, the North Avenue irregulars was another one that I watched growing up. Really funny comedy. Um, I think uh, Cloris Leachman is in, is in that one among, among other people who they have um, in the cast. And, just uh, this really funny, funny movie about this this group of ladies from this church, um, along with the new pastor who they have there, um, and they they team up to to bust this gambling ring that's going on in their town, and it's it's really funny, um, uh, kind of an oddball comedy kind of thing with with them trying to become undercover detectives more or less. Um, great examples of of the Disney Vault and how. Uh, and here's here's some more. You know, you go back even further, like Swiss Family Robinson as well. That was another one I watched growing up time and time again um, from back in like the 50s, early 60s, you know, kind of thing. 
Um, I forget the one, the the name of the one guy. I'm trying who's... to say Herbie the Love Bug. Oh, of course, yeah, Herbie's in there too, and all four <laughs> of them, by the way, all four of the original ones. Even the Lindsay Lohan one. Well, that's the, that's the fifth one. I'm, I'm oh, talking okay. about like the original ones that were made, but um, <laughs> including one that had Don Knotts in it when Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. Um, speaking of Don Knotts, the Apple Dumpling Gang um, is another one, and the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again with with Tim Conway and Don Knotts. But um, yeah, with with uh, Swiss Family Robinson, I forget the name. Uh, it, it's the guy who plays Fritz, but he's he he pops up in these other movies too. He was kind of this um, the this. Uh, heartthrob kind of guy i forget i forget his name off the top of my Clint head but... howard no because he is not a heartthrob <laughs> anyway. go google put us on pause google clint howard on google image get a bag and then join us back in progress <laughs> okay no but, offense but uh anyway so even like the absent-minded professor which was eventually what flubber was a remake of you know I'm going to get an angry letter from Rod Howard. Why are you picking on my brother, Clint? Oh, my gosh. Well, if we get an angry letter from Ron Howard, I think we'd, we'd take that as a badge of honor. Maybe? I would send Unless back it would a be copy something of another really hard-to-find movie called The Ice Cream Man. It's officially the worst movie I've ever seen, starring Clint Howard. Anyway, your point. I'm sorry. If we get an angry letter from Ron Howard for really bad reasons, I'd be very concerned. <laughs> but if it's if it's over that, that might um, you might treat that and go wow i'm gonna frame this but anyway the disney vault that's that's what i think of as like lost movies like because one way or another whether it was by relatives or some way somehow that my mom had accumulated these movies for us and we had all these movies or a few of these movies that I, i mentioned um we had come across them one way or another maybe it was through my grandparents passing them on to us but we had these movies but they only had a limited release period that they were even out there and made available so it's like how the heck did we come across all of these well, boy the- aren't aren't we fortunate but now through disney plus that catalog has now been expanded to all to be able to watch those Most. movies or instead okay. of the disney vault now they have the Disney Backyard Cemetery, where some of them are just outright buried. Well, ones that they don't want to see the light of day. Well, that's that's kind of what it comes down to with some of them. Yeah. There are some movies that have racist undertones because of their the time they came out. Most notably, probably brought up the most, is Song of the South. Right. Which I've seen. Uh, made in the early 70s, I think it was. Well, it's got just about every southern racial stereotype you've ever heard of. I mean, you got Dumbo with the crows. Well, this whole movie is about that. You know, that's where Zippity-Doo-Dah was from. It's not a bad movie, but you can understand why now in the 21st century, in the 2020s, why, uh, ooh, yeah, maybe we're not going to. You know, I'm not a big fan of just pretending things don't exist. It should exist. It should. It just should. Everything should. But it should also be out there. Look, if you're just stumbling across this randomly, you should be aware you know, a lot of the, uh, there's a couple of Looney Tunes cartoons that were made during World War II that show we're at war with Japan. So Bugs Bunny is going up against some Japanese people and it is it is racist. It absolutely is, but it's a product of its time. Should it just be wiped off the face of existence? Well, you understand why it was made and where it was made and where it was coming from. And in our version now, yeah, it probably wasn't the best thing. But should it just be wiped off the map? I, I'm going to vote no because it should exist, but it should exist in maybe back when they had the video stores that you could go in and rent a movie. There was that back room that had the curtain. Maybe that's where it should exist, where you're not just going to have anyone and everybody wander in and what is this? 
it should be, hey, you need to understand, this is what it was. We're not condoning it. We're just saying it exists. You could stay away from it for these reasons, and we wouldn't blame you if you wanted to, but we're not just going to pretend things don't exist that do, because then it almost adds fuel to the fire. You know it exists. You know it's out there. Well, why isn't it coming up? Well, everyone knows why. Just circumvent that and say, look, this is what it was. We're not. We're owning it. We're just putting it out there for you to decide. Let the debate be what it is. But the Disney Vault concept is is kind of a bygone concept with yeah. the coming of Disney Plus because suddenly the vault has been widely opened. But for what it was was the reason that they've got all those warehouses in South Africa with diamonds to make them more valuable. And they only release X amount a year to make chem- chemically. Diamonds aren't that much more different than cubic zirconia, but you can buy a cubic zirconia for $1.99 and the same exact thing called a diamond for a whole lot more than that, but they only release so many. Well, that's what they were doing with the Disney Vault. We got 900 movies, but we're only letting 10 out this year. All the other classics, like Mary Poppins, nope, can't buy that one. It'll come out of the vault in 10 years. Well, I want to buy it now. Nope, 10 years. So you're clamoring for it, and in 10 years when it comes out, there's people punching in the video store so they can get Mary Poppins and learn valuable life lessons about working together and loving your fellow man that's what the vault was all about but now that's not the case because you need to have content on disney plus and other streamers kick open the floodgates let everything out and i think everything should be out rather than well this movie's been out for a while we want to give it a special flavor so we're going to pull it out the streaming service i think paramount plus for example any movie that is from Paramount that they own, every show by Paramount should be on Paramount Plus at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never come off. But maybe you have a way to kind of push certain titles more up front and center, give them a spotlight. After a month, you pull those movies back. They're still there. They're just not being waved under your nose. But if you want to see something that Paramount owns, it's there, every single one of them. You might have to dig for it and find it, but it's there. If you type in Clue, you'll find it, because that's a Paramount movie. But maybe around Halloween. Which version of the finish? <laughs> all three. Oh, really? In order. Okay. But you know, maybe around Halloween, Clue gets pushed front and center with a spotlight on it next to all the Friday the 13th movies and so on and so forth. Being selective just to keep it fresh and new? No, 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 no. Put something on spotlight, but everything is out there. Let the new movies get front and center for a while. But you know, that's what it ought to be, vault schmalt. Get it out there in the time of the internet in the 21st century, hiding things for the sake of you know, inflating the streamability of it? No. Anything else from you, Dave, regarding lost films or the, the concept on yeah. the whole? There's some movies that are, we were talking a little while ago about how I'm not a Kubrick fan. One of his most well-known movies and celebrated movies is 2001, great sci-fi classic. And I'm not going to deny there isn't an appeal there. I've already Which talked about Which is not one of your favorites. You've no, talked about that before. But that's Kubrick, you know. But I, I, I'm not saying I don't like it at all. I can see certainly very much redeeming values about it. But the movie isn't so much a story as much as it is it's open to your interpretation. Basically, he lays out a lavish setting and a couple of you know plot threads. But it's up to you to kind of weave it together into a conclusive story, whatever you think it's going to be. And you get millions of people that have seen this movie, you're going to get a million different interpretations of what you just saw. You're just irked that Hal tried to kill an astronaut named Dave. Nah, that's fine. Dave, you know, us Dave's are jerks. You know, he, Dave Bowman probably had it coming. Dave. He probably kicked Hal. I'm afraid, Dave. But then they came up with, and of course, these movies were based on the book. In 2001, the movie and the book were more or less done simultaneously. 
Arthur C. Clarke wrote the book. Uh, Kubrick did the movie. They both worked on one another's projects. They, they were made simultaneously. But then Clark moved forward with more books. And the follow-up, 2010, Odyssey 2, is much more straightforward. In fact, the book, 2001, is much more straightforward than the movie is. It's an actual story that's conclusive. 2010, also conclusive. Then they did a movie version of it in 1984 that is very straightforward. It is as Kubrick-esque as 2001 was. 2010 is not that at all. It's a straightforward sci-fi story. Yes, there's a story. It looks like it's the product from what it was, mid-80s. It was done with 80s stuff, so maybe in that way it hasn't aged that well. But the movie is very good. Even the science fiction, uh, the special effects in particular were praised. Now, yeah. Kubrick's are eternal. You know, the ones from two, from 2010, the movie 2010, they look a little more dated. But that's not to say that they're bad. The music score is more synthesizer, and it's very 80s. But it's a very good movie. Great cast. John Lithgow, Roy Scheider, Helen Mirren, others. Uh, great story. And it's it answers questions from the first one. What happened with Hal? They kind of answer the question. So where 20, 2001 leaves everything open to what you think. And there is something positive to be said about that. It's such a mystery that people see it and they don't really know what they saw. This movie is going to tell you a story and you're going to know what it's telling you. It's conclusive. And for those, I I don't mind having me fill in the gaps, you know, like having a a death occur off screen. It's more horrifying because you don't know what happened. You just hear a scream and you interpret it in your brain. But what happened in 2001, it's almost... It makes me want to punch myself in the head sometimes with some of what it does or doesn't do. 2010, it actually <laughs> tells you the straight story and it'll show you and it's it's not holding your hand. It's a smart movie, but it's it but it's a movie that came out, was recognized by the Academy Awards, and it just kind of has gone away. You don't see it anymore. And unless you're looking for it, you're not going to find it. So, quick sidebar. We just kind of touched on it and I was going to follow up and you went with the vault. Um I heard there's a good line about encyclopedias that are going to illustrate my point here. Some people I know miss miss encyclopedias, actual books. You can pull down the letter E and go read through the E's and learn something and find something out you didn't know before. Well, you could just look up elephant on on Wikipedia or on the on the internet or Google. Yeah, but you can't really browse the way you used to. You know, you have to know what you're looking for. So, how are you going to know to find a movie that you don't know about? You know, how many people just Good heard question. about the movie 2010 for the first time, don't know anything about it? Maybe assume that there's only a movie 2001. There are four books, but the other ones, 2023, I think, is one of them, and 3001 are the other two books. I've read them. They're good books. But there's only two movies. Will they make two more? I don't know. Who knows? But uh, you need to know what you're looking for. And if they're not presented to you, that's one of the bonuses that I miss with TV. You might flip channels and land on something that looks interesting. You don't know what it is, but you're going to watch it. And that's how Shawshank Redemption became popular. It came out in movie theaters, and it more or less bombed. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining came out in 1980, and when it came out, it bombed. People didn't like it. Even Stephen King, who wrote the book, has kind of disowned it and says, I don't like that version. So then it got shown, and it got shown, and it got shown, and it got shown. Then it got put on a list, scariest movies for Halloween time. People started checking it out because it was being presented to them in one way, shape, or form. They'd flip channels and land on TNT, and there's Jack Nicholson karateing a door. What? Huh? Now it's become a popular classic because people were shown it. So these great movies. When was the last time you saw Colin Farrell and Whit- Forrest Whitaker in Phone Booth? Great movie. 
Kiefer Sutherland. You barely see him. You just hear his voice, and it scares the heck out of you. Great movie. And right now, movie came out in 2001, I think. First of all, what's a phone booth? And secondly, I don't think I've even seen this movie or heard of this movie. What? Because you're not being shown the movie. You don't flip around channels and see it. It's not streaming anywhere that I'm aware of. So you don't get a chance to see it. You don't get a chance to build up your love for it. You might tell somebody to watch it, but how are they going to watch it if it's not being streamed anywhere? So you run into this compounding problem. Somebody's in charge of what movies we're going to put on our show this week. Somebody's in charge of what shows we're going to put on our streamer this month. But they're not choosing that movie for one reason or another, and many others like it. These are movies that are good. They got great reviews. They got a good response. They didn't bomb at the box office, and they just kind of, what happened? Like magic just disappeared. Well, I've got a, I've got a theory, and I'll give you a synonym about this theory. We'll, we'll switch from movies to music real quick. Classic rock. We all like Led Zeppelin. We like you know, the Pink Floyd. And that's what you hear when you hear classic rock. But how do you define classic rock? Is it just rock songs that are really good that they've become classics in their own right? How come you don't hear much from, say, Pearl Jam on a classic rock station? I have not heard anything from the Vitality album, which came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think, unless it's a retro 90s weekend. You don't hear anything from that. Well, how come it is? Maybe, maybe... It's about some programmers that their era is of a certain era. I grew up during this era, so I like this kind of music. So that's why you hear Floyd. That's why you hear music from the you know, 70s, especially, and 80s. They're not going to give as much credence to songs that came after that are very, very good. There's a lot of rock songs that have come out since the quote-unquote classic rock era that would certainly fit that genre very, very well, and they would fit in well. But it's Pearl Jam. It came out way after my time. I don't like Pearl Jam. We're not going to play it. We're going to play these classics over and over. That's why you see a lot of the same thing with movies. That just It's the same ones. You don't see Phone Booth, but you'll see Back to the Future. Yes, great movie. I'm not tearing down Pink Floyd. I'm not tearing down Back to the Future. They're awesome songs. They're awesome movies. But let's open it up a little bit more. You know, So these, P- these program directors, they're not retiring. They're the same guys. So that's what they're playing. When they eventually pass on and move on and retire, the younger group comes in. Well, why are we playing all this other stuff that's just as good? At some point, Pink Floyd will kind of vanish out because the people that listened to it when Pink Floyd was new, they're going to age out. They're going to pass on, and Pink Floyd might get carried on to younger generations. It certainly has. It certainly has its place. I'm not tearing them down. Don't get me wrong. I love, I think I like newer Pink Floyd rather, like 80s Pink Floyd more than the 70s. But- these are guys that are in charge of what, what entree they're going to put on the platter. And so when they're programming their station, when they're programming their show, when they're programming their streamer, yeah, but I don't like so-and-so actor. I'm not going to put his movies out there. If I was programming a station and we're doing sci-fi month, do you think I'm going to hold back Kubrick because I personally don't like 2001? No, it's going to find a place there so long as we can afford to air it. But I might not watch it, but I'll program it because it's not about me. Yeah, when it comes to like cable television, it's it's a lot of it is about the familiar, I think, unless it's like late at night, then you can get a little bit more into some of the obscure ones and and ones that maybe you're not as familiar with. But some of these some of these more on-demand movie channels that exist out there now in in cable packages or um that y- you can purchase a little bit extra in order to get those those movie channels. 
that's where you can sometimes find some more of those deep cuts. Those will those will make their way on there a little bit more. But otherwise, it, it's word of mouth. And I mean, that this whole idea is why cult films exist. I mean, they, they exist in, in large part because they are less accessible. They are a little bit less of a release. They're, they're not quite out there on the mainstream as much. Uh, that's that's why you get those cult followings with movies like that. I mean, I, I think of Night of the Living Dead when that came out. I mean, that was a, a cult movie and has been for a long time because, I mean, it was made on such a shoestring budget. It was a, a local production, a local release when it came out. And then it's, it spread like wildfire as far as getting notoriety. Well, and, one of the good reasons, not just the notoriety, they didn't get it copyrighted. Right, because originally it was going to be Night of the Flesh Eaters. They changed the title, but didn't copyright the new title. So anybody and everybody from the year that it was made could show it and didn't have to pay royalties or anything because it wasn't copyrighted. Yeah. So it was free to show. Well, so it was shown a lot. That was accessible, exactly. So. But that's re- there's other reasons. There's sometimes there's there's outside reasons why. There's a reason why Don McLean's American Pie, the song, is such a great song. Back in the day on radio stations, they were on vinyl. They were on record. Sometimes, not to get too much information, the DJ needed to go poop. He needed eight minutes to do it. He needed an eight-minute song. Well, there's this big, long Don McLean song. How is this eight-minute Bohemian Rhapsody? What? Well, I got to go poop. We're going to play it. That's honestly how some of those eight-minute songs that you normally, they stuck out like a sore thumb them these three-minute songs that everybody else was playing. Why? The guy needed to poop. He needed eight minutes to run down the hall. I'm not trying to be gross. That's how it happened. So these movies got released. Turner got a hold of the Shawshank Redemption, and they put it on their new te- their two cable network, TNT, a movie that kind of bombed at the box office. They played it, they played it, they played it, they played it. People saw it. This is a good show. Now it's a hugely popular movie that people can't believe wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. But Turner had it. They got it for cheap, and they put it on their network on repeat. Now everyone loves it. There's outside reasons why some get popular, and I'm sure on the flip side there's reasons why certain shows, certain movies aren't being shown. For lots of reasons. Yeah, with lost films, it kind of hinges on word of mouth in many ways. It, it hinges on that word of mouth, sometimes cult following, or maybe you just so happen to have that movie. Like, for instance, those ones that I mentioned out of the Disney vault, you know, that, that my family happened to have, that I happened to grow up on. Sometimes you just kind of stumble into those one way or another. Sometimes you hear about them, but sometimes... It's also the research that you do, tying in one movie to another, the similar titles portion of IMDb when you go and look up a movie. Sometimes that's the way that you find your way to a movie that is out of your consciousness that would seem, quote-unquote, lost under any other way, but you happen to come across it then. Sometimes... It's just your circumstances. And and we'll get, not personally personal, but we'll get a little personal. Some movies, Who, for example, I'm a little older than Hoof. I'm, I'm wrinkly and gray compared to the youth of Hoof. But there's some movies. Hardly. There, there are some movies Hoof just hasn't seen because he came around after the fact. So, you know, for example, you just never got around to seeing Top Gun. Well, then we were talking about Top Gun one day, and it was, hey, hey, Hoof, we're going to do Top Gun night at our house Whatever night, come on over, you know, whatever it was. So Hoove saw Top Gun for the first time in my basement. It was awesome. It was a great show. And Hoove, after the end, was like, yeah, I can see why it was popular. I, I think it was maybe a little overhyped, and I would agree. 
but it's still a good movie. Well, now when the next one comes out, Top Gun Maverick, he's got something to fall back on. And I'm sure right. for every Top Gun that you've seen, there's a bunch of movies that are on my rack that you haven't seen. That if I showed them to you, you'd love them. And as soon as this pandemic is over, who will have movie night every so often. Come on over. We're going to watch a movie that you have not seen and you will walk away a fan, and you'll want to see the rest. Yeah, even even very popular movies can, quote-unquote, slip through the cracks in that way for each of us individually. I mean, I, a friend of mine and I, we, we just showed another buddy Shutter Island for the first time. He got to watch Shutter Island this past weekend, and that well, was great. That's not that old a movie. No, um, but that's just sometimes how it goes, where you, you'll have movies that people are just not familiar with, and that's the fun of it is giving them the chance to see it for the first time. And those are hardly lost movies. But for each person, it's all a little bit different in terms of what is lost and what is not. But in a lot of ways, really what we're talking about isn't that it's lost, that you just it's out there. You know, you just hadn't seen Top Gun. Is Top Gun hard to find? No, it's everywhere. Nope. But what we're really talking about, at least for the context of today's show, is accessibility. What's yep. out there? Here's a, So let's come up with a solution. I, good advice I learned as a kid don't complain unless you can offer a better solution. Okay, here's a solution. So it's on streaming. If we're complaining about encyclopedias versus, say, Wikipedia, where you can't browse, you need to find, all right. There was a study that came out not that long ago about Wikipedia, or not Wikipedia, uh, Netflix. You go onto Netflix at night, you're going to select your show. And there's a difference between men and women, apparently. Women will go much, much longer, and men will go much shorter. If men, if they can't find it within five minutes, whatever show they're going to watch, and they got thousands to choose from, but they're just looking like a dog in the backyard looking for the perfect tree to pee on. It's that same thing. i got to find the perfect movie to watch tonight. Guys will look for that perfect movie for five minutes, and after five minutes, they turn off Netflix and they'll do something else. Women will go for seven minutes. Here's... A solution. You get a couple of channels on Netflix, and I do mean channels on Netflix, and maybe you break them up uh, by genre or subgenre or something. Well, I can't find the movie specifically that I want, but I feel like an action movie. Let's go check out the action channel on Netflix. And all that that is are shows that are on Netflix that are just, they're picking from their own selection and they're just streaming it like a show. Now, unlike TV, where if you join in an hour late, you just pick up where you left off. No, you have the option here and they're just going to show them. You flip to the action channel and it'll show you the movie in progress. Do you want to back up and watch this movie? Because it's on Netflix, you know, so you can certainly go select it and watch the movie from the beginning. But maybe you're watching a minute or two of it like you would flipping channels Eh, flip to the next one. And maybe still you don't find it, but the object here is maybe you see something that you've never seen before. You're aware of Lethal Weapon, the TV show that just went off the air, but not so much the movies. Maybe it's because Mel Gibson's involved. I don't know. But now you're seeing a part of Lethal What? He's just tackled the guy and they fell out of the hotel and into the swimming pool? That looks like a fun movie. Okay, we'll start from the beginning, Lethal Weapon 2. That was a good movie. I'm going to watch the rest of them. Something along those lines. Maybe the obscure channel. Movies that you're probably not going to find, but here you go. Here are the best movies ever made direct to video that never went to a sh- And that's most of Netflix's selections, by the way. There's options right there for you to show movies of a genre that are not well seen or well remembered or whatever the case. But you might get a glimpse of it and want to watch it just like what made Shawshank popular. This could make other things popular. Dave, and has, you ha- Dave has had this idea for a long time of, of putting together a movie channel like that. I'm trying to remember if you brought it up here on the podcast or if we were talking about it offhand. But you've, you've I think had, I said it once before. You've had this idea before. Of it's a, not a new idea. I mean, of a it's, movie of a... a 
a channel availability like that with with movies. Although, would that be everything that's in the Netflix catalog, or are you hoping that that would be an expansion upon the Netflix catalog? I would. I'm just talking about it in a general idea, and I'm just going to say Netflix for now, just to make it easy. But I could do the same thing for Paramount Plus. Whether it's you know, like we said earlier in this in this podcast, take you got. Let's just to come up with a round number, 10,000 titles from from Paramount that have been made over the years. All 10,000 and counting should be on Paramount Plus. End of story. You don't pull them off for any reason. If you want to loan them out or, so to speak, give the rights to show those movies to on other streamers, that's great. I think the Friday the 13th movies, for example, on Halloween should be on all the other streamers, and all the other streamers have to pay a licensing fee to show those movies so they're not exclusive to Paramount Plus, so they're out there. And if, if Hulu wants to show something that's a Paramount movie and all of them are on Paramount Plus, so what? Grab the movies you want. You pay $100 a month for the rights to show or whatever the rights are. I'm just coming up with easy round numbers. Now you've got the couple problems solved. You've got movies that are being put in front of you. You've got this non-exclusivity thing. Now, uh-uh, if you want to watch our movies, you have to subscribe to us and us only. I hate that. If it's brand new, I get it. But after a window of time, and it can't be forever, it can't be an indefinite, an indefinite window of time, now it's accessible to everybody. Hey, we here at this other streamer would like to show this movie that came out three years ago. We'd like to buy the rights. No problem. It's still on Paramount+, Plus, but now it's also showing on Peacock or something, which is universal. Why is this a problem? You know what's funny is that I think Netflix's DVD subscription mailing that launched Netflix was actually the solution to this whole thing before now everything is kind of splintered off into the various streaming platforms because there you could search the movie, you could get it mailed to you. It was like having an expansion on going to the local Blockbuster video store and hoping that it's in there. And now all of a sudden you've got this massive library that you can order from, you can get all of that. Then it became, we're going to go digital. Oh, that's cool. Then it became, we're going to have a limited library of what's digital. Oh, we don't care. It's on the, it's available for us. We had the solution, I think, all along there with getting it mailed to us from the library. And now we've split off into the various streaming platforms and forgotten that, oh yeah, that was actually pretty nice where you could search for a lot of different movies out there. They had them in the catalog and would mail it to you. Well, and we've kind of talked about this from the other way. You know, they just dropped the law about a year ago that theater companies and studios couldn't own movie theaters because you're going to run into the exclusivity problem. Well, we're doing the exact same thing. We're just doing it online with the streamers. Now, not that you can't license out a movie from Paramount to Disney or something. Of course you can. But everyone is so no mine. These are mine. They're going. But now you're having things lose out, like 20th Century Fox. A lot of those movies because Disney owns 20th Century Fox. Well, Aliens. You're not going to have that on Disney Plus. Well, they're starting to come up with different alternatives outside of the U.S. They have Disney Stars, which is basically 20th Century Fox and more quote unquote adult movies. But it's on the Disney Plus streamer in the U.S. That's Hulu, Disney. Hulu's owned by a lot of different studios, and it used to be kind of a hodgepodge. Now it's mostly Disney. So you can get a lot of 20th Century Fox movies on Hulu, but not all of them. There's a lot of them that are just, they exist, but where can you find The Abyss? You know, Jim Cameron's movie about, the, you ever see The Abyss? Heard of it, okay. yeah. It's, it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, but you can't find it. So all these movies that are out there, they exist. Oh, in this age of technology, really? 
put up or shut up, put them out. I mean all of them. Every single movie that you have access to, and I'm talking to the studios, put them out there on your streamers. Now, here's what's starting to happen, and it's going to be the norm. You're already starting to see, quote-unquote, smaller streamers being folded into bigger streamers. Take We already mentioned wrestling, so let's talk about that real quick. The WWE Network, you could subscribe to it, $9 a month or whatever it was, and that's what it was. Well, now it's been folded into Peacock. So now if you subscribe to Peacock, which is NBC Universal, you can have the WWE Network as part of that. Now the WWE Network as its own entity, so you can subscribe to just that, is going to cease in the next month or so. And the only way you can subscribe to it is if you subscribe to Peacock. So the smaller streamers are going to be folded into the bigger ones. So the exclusivity problem is going to become a little less of a problem because these you know 15 streamers are eventually going to condense into seven or five or whatever it is. The ones that aren't doing as well will be bought into and absorbed into other streamers. So if Paramount Plus doesn't get enough subscribers when it really gets launch launch, which it's starting to do right now, maybe it gets folded into another smaller streamer. So Peacock and Paramount Plus become one big streaming service, the Peacock Paramount or whatever they call it. And so Universal and Paramount are all there, but it'll be exclusive. But it's two exclusives that are under one subscription. Now that makes it a lot easier. Basically, it's the reason people got away from cable TV because I don't want to pay that much for all this stuff. Well, you're doing the exact same thing, just in a different way. Yeah. If I want, if I want to watch Coming to America, the new one, which I really want to see, I have to be on Amazon Prime. I'm not on Amazon Prime. Nope. And I don't want to subscribe to 12 different streamers just because there's going to be 12 different movies that I want to see that are only exclusively on 12 different streamers. Not feasible. You, you understand the rant that I'm starting to get into yes. right now. It drives a, you nuts. It's a familiar one. But it's also part of what keeps the lost film concept in play today because you don't have the accessibility to them that would be most ideal. And it, and it makes things lost. Well, I never saw that movie. How come? Because right. I didn't subscribe to such and right. such. So it's not really accept. Well, it's only nine dollars a month. Yeah, but I don't. I'm already paying fifty dollars for all of those. Why am I going to pay sixty dollars just to see one movie on him? Yeah, but then you get free shipping. I don't care. I don't want that one. You know, I just want to see that one movie. That's it. So, eh, but it is what it is. But that that's going to be a problem for the future that a lot of people didn't see such and such. And what is going to be the solution to exclusivity, or will there be? If you never subscribe to Amazon Prime, is that the only place that coming to the number two America is going to be shown? Will it ever make it to TNT? Will I yeah. ever be flipping channels and land on it? Or is it exclusive to Amazon Prime till the right. end of time? That's going to be a potential future problem that's going to make this issue of movies that do exist, but their, their accessibility is a problem, become a problem. Just do what I did with the Ipcris file. Just buy the movie. Find it first. Find it and buy it. Hence the accessibility. I'd love That's to see right. Hopscotch again. Find it is Find the problem. It. And I yep. don't want to buy a pirated version. I don't want no. to supply. I don't want no. to do that. I'm not advocating that. I don't know where my sister found it, to tell you the truth. I haven't a clue. But I can't find it anywhere. And it, we must have it in the house somewhere, but you know, when, when your parents pass on, sometimes those get tossed out accidentally without knowing what it is yeah. or they broke it or whatever. Uh, but it's not there. It's gone. I can't find it. I'll leave you to search that for that on the web, the the World Wide Web. Out on the, the tubes of the interworld. Yeah, I think that might be the place <laughs> to go Down the tubes. Now.
Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. Lost films. A lot of different concepts when it comes to lost films. But streaming platforms have made lost films a little less lost. So too have cable movie channels. But at the same time, as we've discovered and discussed today, there are still a lot of lost films out there to yeah. be discovered. It's the- that undiscovered country. Well, it just it's it needs to be a, a solution presented of accessibility, and and beyond that, once they're accessible, having them in some way, shape, or form presented to you, so that if Hopscotch was I don't know who who made Hopscotch, let's just say for argument's sake it was Paramount. Paramount Plus should have Hopscotch available. It should just be there, so you're going to find these movies. Oh, I haven't seen this movie since whenever. That's the joy of it. But it doesn't have to be front and center. Just have it there. So if you know what you're looking for, it is there. And then maybe it put up a channel where these obscure movies are going to be shown. Or if you're going to look up a movie based on actor, you know, Walter Matthau. Of course, Grumpy Old Men, even though that's Warner Brothers. But, oh, the Paramount movies. Oh, Hopscotch. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Or I haven't seen that movie in forever. They need to be put together in a way, whether that's through a library, cross-reference system, whatever. You can even make deals. Paramount Plus can make a deal with HBO Max. If you do want to see Grumpy Old Men, well, that's a Warner Brothers movie. Here's a link you can click to that'll bring you to that service. If you have it, great. And if you don't, well, you can subscribe to it. And they'll do the same thing on Warner Brothers to subscribe to Paramount. So maybe there's sort of an interwebby thing going on. Just for the, in the name of exclusivity, you're not trying to necessarily drive your people away from your shows. You want them there, of course. But let's make it as inclusive and as you know as presentable as we possibly can. Every Walter Matthau movie, I don't know why Walter Matthau is getting all the love. What's wrong with Jack Lemmon? But it's just it's an example. You yep. know, he's got, let's say, 500 movies. Here they're all linked to. We've got a bunch of them here on Paramount Plus, but there's others on HBO Max. There's others over. Make it accessible. Make it presentable so that you don't have these lost classics. If they exist and they're not literally destroyed or locked in a vault somewhere and they're accessible to the public, make them accessible to the public. I'll leave you to do that with either your own personal library or through this TV channel that you are plotting to put together. Not a, not a TV channel, just... So to speak, I, th- I think so to can, speak. I just think it could be done in a lot of ways. You can have a movie theater that's got uh, that's got nine screens. Eight of them are current movies, and the ninth screen is some sort of a special something something classic. Night, oh, I've lost, wanted to do that for a long time. Classic yeah. night, action adventure night, eighties uh, classic night, lost classics night, and yeah. maybe literally every night it's a different show, but it's one that's been out before, but you've never seen it on the big screen. And so seven nights a week, there's going to be seven different movies playing this week, and we'll do it again next week with seven different movies. Yep. You know whether it's a streaming service, whether whatever it is. Make these movies presentable so that I don't need to see Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. We all know it's not a good movie. It did good at the box office because people didn't know that it was a bad movie until they went and saw it and spent their money. That movie was bad. And eh, it is what it is. Justice League, Zack Snyder Cut. It's a better movie, but it's a four-hour movie. Eh, I'm going to pass. Once this thrill is over, it'll be done. And it just is what it is. It's unfortunate, but it's done. Why are we spending all this time on movies that we're just trying to recoup a budget rather than let's make some money on movies that were done well, but people don't know they're done well because they never see them. So if you present, if a good is good, if you build it, they will come. Now build a ballpark for it and show it. Build a library build for a, it. Well, they have it. it. They just need to put it out. I know. I know. 
All right, thanks for joining us. End of rant. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm, I'm end of rant Dave Brooks. Yes, and we will see you at the movies.